Happy Sunday. It is a happy Sunday, right? We got a lot of reasons to be happy. First and foremost, Jesus says, wherever two or more gather in my name, there I will be. So give me an amen if you're here in Jesus' name. All right, so we know he's here with us, and that's a great reason to be happy, right? Also, I know that uh, some of you have uh, got a summer break. School's out. For many people, that's a really happy thing, right? <laughs> some of the parents are going, no, not so much. <laughs> some of you got graduation. That's a happy thing, right? Another thing that we have to be very happy and thankful for is that tomorrow's Memorial Day. So we are thankful for all of our friends, our family members, uh, the people we know that have served our country to allow us this great freedom to come in this great building, to, freedom, free, to worship in freedom, our living and loving God. So we are very thankful for that. That's a very good thing, right? <laughs> Another thing that we have to be very thankful and happy for is it's Ascension Sunday. I know y'all are excited, but calm down a little bit, right? It's one of those days in the, in the church calendar that we mark, and it is very significant, but I think sometimes it gets glossed over a little bit, and the video kind of talked about it. We're going to talk about it some more in a minute, but as God would have it, as we walk through 1 Corinthians, we've now are at chapter 15, fits perfectly into the message of Ascension because it precedes it. And you remember we've been talking about Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and it was this confluence of traditional religious people, the Jews, and Greek people who had a lot of different influences, and they were coming together, and they were trying to work out life together in the church. But there were some problems going on, and Paul talked about those problems, and we've been talking about those in the past few weeks. But the first thing he did was he established that they were blameless and holy and set apart. It's important that blameless, holy, and set apart be the foundation that we build off of. Because when God comes to us and he communicates to us, that's always the first thing that he conveys to us. I love you, you're my child, and you are holy and blameless. Okay, so that foundation is where Paul starts from. But then he brings forth some problems that are kind of bad. Number one, he says, there's divisions among you. Number two, he says, you're immature and you're arrogant. Number three, you're sexually immoral. Number four, you've got bad marriages. You're suing each other. And there's just all this conflict and chaos going on. And he even says to them, by the way, in terms of you guys coming together to do this church thing, you're doing more harm than good. So he's really hard on them about what's going on. And in this chapter, he's going to kind of reach a crescendo because we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. And this is kind of, he's really getting to the heart of the matter now. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you also stand. And I just want to pause there for a minute. He's, let's go back to the first one. Okay, here we are. Um, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you stand. So Paul is saying this gospel message, when we lived together for a year and a half, because that's how long he was with them, Remember the gospel message that I preached to you? And you received it? And you also stand? And when we talk about stand, he's saying in this blameless, holy, set-apart position that you are guaranteed before God because of Jesus, that you have that. And he's establishing that. Let's go on to the next part, please. By which you are saved. 
Now, when we talked about saved, when we look at the Bible, saved can be, mean one of three things. Sometimes it talks about you were saved, like we were justified before God when Jesus died on the cross. You were saved. Sometimes it talks about a future salvation. In this case, it's talking about right now. It's talking about the everyday occurrence, all day long, that God delivers us from the evils of this world. That's a constant in our lives, and he's referencing that now. That in this blameless, holy, set-apart position where God is saving you all day long that you have, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And this is a little bit of a confusing statement here, but what he's saying is that you all have received the gospel message. You have your position before God that's indisputable. You are blameless, holy, set apart. But when he says, believed in vain, he's saying, but your lives don't reflect it. And therefore, your lives are vain. And vain means without purpose, without meaning, useless. So therefore, he's saying, sure, you have salvation. Sure, you will be in God's eternal kingdom. And you have a relationship with him right now. However, these things we've been talking about are inconsistent with the blameless, holy, set-apart position you have before God. So he is frustrated with them. He's angry with them. He's disappointed in them. And you may not see that as we read in English. Often, if you speak to people who speak another language, they will tell you English is an inadequate language because I can't really express myself. And this is a good example where Paul is saying, I'm really frustrated with you guys because you are... Blameless, holy, set apart, but that's not how you're living. All right, let's go to the next uh, place. Beg your pardon? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15.3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So he's saying, remember when I was with you for a year and a half, the thing that I delivered to you, first importance that I most emphasized to you was... Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He's saying this is what was most important that I taught you. And the importance of this is that we as believers come to know that only the Gospel message transforms our hearts. This Gospel message of Jesus dying for our sins changes everything. And as it begins to come into our lives, it changes us. It transforms our hearts. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And there is another important thing here, according to the Scriptures. For each one of us, the faith that we have is God's movement through His Word into our lives. It's God's Word moved into our lives from God that has transformed us, that is changing us, that has given us this position of blameless, holy, and set apart. And that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Again, referencing the Scripture, because the Scripture is important to us, because it's through the Scripture that God has transformed us. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Next verse, please. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and least of, last of all, 
As to one untimely born he, born, he appeared to me also. So now we're talking about the resurrection. We all know that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried in the tomb, and he rose from the dead. We celebrated that not so long ago. Actually, it was about 43 days ago. Thursday is actually Ascension Day. That's 40 days from Easter. That's the day that we acknowledge, we recognize that Jesus rose, that Jesus ascended to heaven. Okay? So, we're talking about the resurrection. And Paul goes on to expand a little bit more into this resurrection thing because apparently it was one of the problems that they were having within this group of believers. So we go to 1 Corinthians 15. And bear with me while I find my place. Verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So a little context here. Within this confluence of these three groups of people, there was a certain group of people within the Jewish people that didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. Meanwhile, within the Romans, as well as the Greeks, they also didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. They just kind of believe in a Star Wars kind of thing. You just became part of the force when you died, that there wasn't a resurrection of the body. Okay, So that belief was there, and it was beginning to influence, and Paul's pointing this out to, hey, on top of everything else, now you guys are arguing about the resurrection, and some of you don't even believe in the resurrection. So what's the problem with that? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Again, what is the meaning of vain? Useless, worthless, of no value. If this Jesus resurrection thing didn't happen, this is of no value. This resurrection thing is very important. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. So the point of he was saying here is that if we say that Jesus rose from the dead and he didn't, we're actually preaching against God. We are testifying against God. And if you knew the culture at that time, there was a severe consequence for testifying against God. Paul, in his early life, what did he do? He persecuted the church because he thought they were testifying against God. And he's saying that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, I'm doing the very thing that I accused people of doing before. Let's go on to the, uh, verse, uh, the next verse. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Notice he says you're still in your sins. We tend to think, well, Jesus died on the cross, he took care of our sins, and we're forgiven, right? But Paul's here saying that, no, we'd still be in our sins if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. We would still be in our sins. And what's more, um, people who died, they just perished. I used to work with a Japanese company many years ago, and I remember talking to my Japanese coworkers about, you know, what happens after you die, and you became fertilizer. That was their deal. This is what it's saying here. You just became fertilizer. 
If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're nothing more than fertilizer. So this resurrection thing apparently is very significant and it has huge importance for us. So I want to look at why is Paul so focused on this resurrection thing? Why is he making such a big deal about this? Let's look at Colossians 2. When you were dead in your transgressions, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So I just want to pause for a minute. How many of our sins has God forgiven us? All. Not some, not most, not pretty much all. Absolutely all. Okay? Not my words, God's words. Has forgiven us all our transgressions. So God, through Jesus' resurrection, has forgiven us all our sins. If you're carrying something today, or you've been doing something, or you're remembering something of the past, all, not some, not most, not part. Jesus has forgiven you all your sins, all of them, every single one of your past, and even if you have one going on right now. There's another important thing that Jesus has done in his resurrection. Let's look at um, 1 John, uh, sorry, I jumped ahead there. Yes, 1 John 3.8. The Son of God appear, appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So why did Jesus appear? Destroy the works of the devil. All of them. Whatever they may be, whatever his plans, whatever his schemes, whatever participation he's tried to have in your life, whatever effect he's had on your life until now, Jesus destroyed them all. In the resurrection, Jesus destroyed the devil. All right, one more. John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So do you. Do you believe this? Jesus' words to you. Do you believe this? And the importance of that is, for me, on Thursday we had a funeral from my mother's brother. I believe this. And I know there are people in your lives who you miss and love. Do we believe this? It's kind of exciting if you ask me. It's encouraging. It's supporting. It gives me a different perspective on life. Even my own life. Romans 8.38. Most of y'all know this one. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered the devil. Jesus conquered death. And there's another really important part of the resurrection. That in the resurrection... God proclaims his forgiveness to Jesus for all the sin. And because he's proclaimed forgiveness to Jesus, the forgiveness proclamation is to you and I also. And therefore, it's interesting that nor any other created thing 
that the creator of everything visible and invisible, including us, looks at each one of us through the eyes of forgiveness and says, I forgive you. And nothing visible or invisible can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not life, not death, not powers, not principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, not terrorists, not war, not crime, not our own sin. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because in his resurrection, God proclaimed forgiveness to him for each one of us. So, in this resurrection, it allows me to have the privilege to be able to say to each one of you, whatever it is you're challenged with today, whether it be financially, whether it be relationally, whether it be with your own health, whether it be with sadness and loneliness, aloneness, whether it be with failure or dreams that haven't been met, aspirations that you have, the power of the resurrection is just as alive today as it was 2,000 years ago. And what's even more significant is the power of the resurrection is alive in you. Because Jesus lives in you. And therefore, that power of resurrection exists within you. And maybe some of us need to let it go. We need to allow that power to be freed. Perhaps our fears, perhaps our shame, perhaps our guilt. I don't know. But maybe there's some things that are not allowing the power of the resurrection to live in my life. So, we had to have the resurrection before we could have the ascension. But what we know was there was a 40-day period where Jesus lived amongst his disciples and friends, and he did things like we do. He cooked with them, he ate with them, he talked with them, he lived life with them. So let's look at the ascension. Acts chapter 1. To these he also presented him, oops, is that right? Correct. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? you got to love the disciples. They're still hung up on their ideas of what God was going to do. Just like on Palm Sunday, remember, it was like, oh, we love you, Jesus. Jesus is great. And then when they found out that he was there for a different reason, they oh, no. They're still stuck on their ways. And it gives me a little bit of peace knowing that sometimes I have my ideas on how God should be moving in my life. Right? Do we all do that some a little bit? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which your father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You will receive power. Each one of you here today, if you were baptized, 
you received power. So I go back to the power of the resurrection that's in you. You received the power. Acts 1.9 And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. I love this one. And they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. You've got to imagine that they're in a closed room, okay? And Jesus is there with them, and suddenly they're seeing sky and clouds, and Jesus ascends, okay? Imagine that picture. Always kind of makes me laugh. And they were gazing intently, because I imagine, had I been there, I would have been jaw-dropped too, going, and just staring into the sky, thinking, what just happened? What did we just see? I love that image. And as they also said, men of Galilee, why did you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just as the same way as you watched him go into heaven. So this was the account of the ascension. And again, I love the idea that people just like us, in this thing that which they can't even comprehend, in a closed building just like this one, are suddenly seeing cloud and skies and Jesus rise. And, and the ascension, beyond this experience of something that's unimaginable, because of what Jesus had promised, was an important part of what he did for us. Let's look at John 16. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. This is prior to his crucifixion, and Jesus had promised them and said, if I don't go away, you don't get the Helper, but if I do, you get the Helper. God has given us a Helper, and my question for you is, do you need some help today? I don't know with what. I just know you have challenges that are probably beyond your ability to comprehend how those challenges can be met. And God has given us a helper. John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you. How long? Forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The spirit of truth is with you forever. Again, I realize that we all face challenges and that the lies are constantly coming at us. We live in a deceitful world. Our own eyes might deceive us. Sometimes we hear things and are deceived. However, Within you, within this power that you have, is the spirit of truth. If you have a question, seek the spirit of truth. First Timothy 1.17 For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and discipline. God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love, and discipline. And one of the things I notice here is that love and discipline are part of power. They go together with each other. So maybe I need a little more discipline in my life. Speaking of myself, okay? So, 
God has given us his helper by the spirit of truth forever. And not a spirit of timidity, but one of power, of love and discipline. So whatever we may be dealing with today, whatever we brought in this morning, whatever we've been struggling with last week or not looking forward to next week, God has given us a helper of truth and of power, of love and discipline. And my prayer for all of us is that we would allow that power of the resurrection that we've received through the Holy Spirit, let it free. Let it live in your lives. Allow it to occur. Don't hold it back. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we do gather this morning, we do have so much to be thankful for. We're thankful for the ending of school, for the break that that gives children, that it gives teachers. We're thankful for graduation. We're thankful for our family members and friends who have served this country and continue to do so. We thank you for your continued presence in our lives. We thank you that you've given us your forever spirit. We thank you that through that power of the resurrection, that you've declared your forgiveness on your son as well as us. And it's in that freedom that we live. So enable us and encourage us that we might allow your spirit to grow within us. That we would mature in the one true faith, allowing you to live through us and have your will and your way with our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.